So, I want to read the scripture today. Uh, today's word uh, is from Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 1 through 16, and I'm reading from the New International Version. So, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him. And as was his custom, he taught them. Now, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, Jesus replied. Well, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, when they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hand on them, and blessed them. Wow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to just start out by saying these words about uh, divorce are stunning and very, very difficult for us. So, you know, several of in our congregation have experienced a divorce. Um, some men and women are abusive to their spouse. Some uh, have deeply personal reasons for seeking a divorce. Some have mental illness issues. Some are married at an exceptionally young age. I, I want you to know that I believe that in the image of God within each and every human person. I also believe in total depravity, something deep within the Reformed faith. When we do wrong, we are sinful. When we fail to do right, we are sinful. Even when we are good, we are sinful. So let me say this right at the beginning of this message, right? Uh, there's not even one of us who has not sinned. That sin may be something that everyone knows about. That sin may be something that you have not even revealed to anyone else, maybe not even yourself. God knows. So let's make sure we keep in mind the counsel of 1 John 
verses, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Now that's all of us, right? Even the choir, I mean, with their angelic voices, right? <laughs> not a single one of us is worthy of the grace and the mercy that we've received through Jesus Christ. We're going to discuss this passage and the one that follows about children, but keep in mind that none of us is worthy of what Jesus Christ did for us, okay? All right. So I mentioned James Edwards last week, and I, I, I like his role. Um, he, and James Edwards mentions these things about ancient Judaism. Ancient Judaism, marriage was not about equals. It was not about mutual benefits for husband and wife. It was an institution. The chief purpose of the institution was the establishment and the continuance of the family. And the chief enemy of the institution was childlessness. In Judaism, the foremost responsibility of an observant Jewish male was knowledge and mastery of the Torah under which he was expected to order the necessities of life, including marriage. Jesus, however, teaches that marriage is not a male-dominated institution, but a new creation of God, to which both husband and wife are equally responsible to practice in lifelong discipleship. So I want to take a little bit of a detour here and talk about ECO's commitment, the Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, which if you are a covenant partner, you're part of that, their commitment to egalitarianism and, and the opposite, which is called complementarianism, which suggests that men and women are created equally in the image of God, but they have complementary roles Primarily, the role of women serving as wives and moms. So I want to start with Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, okay? And so Genesis 3, verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to your children your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So the actual origin of men ruling over women is not in creation itself when we are all made in God's image. The actual origin of men ruling over women was in the fall. And men as well as women continue to provide leadership throughout the Old and New Testaments. So here's just a couple of mentions in the Old Testament from, from Judges chapter six, 4, verses 6 through 8. Deborah sent for Barak, the son of Obinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, 
commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. And I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to Kishon River, and I will give him into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Well, that's stunning, right? <laughs> Barak says, like, hey, listen, if you're going, I'm going. If you're not going, I'm not going, right? So what's going on there? Think about that. Right? Deborah is a, one of the judges in the Old Testament. And Barak is saying, I'm not going to go unless you go. So the next story is Huldah the prophetess. You can find this in 2 Kings uh, 22 and 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 34. Josiah is the king and he becomes the king at the age of eight. In the 18th year of his reign, or when he's 26, he instructs Shaphan to pay men for work in the temple. Okay? Now the high priest at the time, Hilkiah, tells Shaphan that he has found the book of the law in the temple. Shaphan reads it. Then he reads it to King Josiah. Josiah tears his robes in grief and anguish. The next thing they do is they go to Huldah the prophetess. She is the wife of Shalom, the keeper of the king's wardrobe. Why do they go to a woman when so many men are available, right? Huldah tells them that because the king has been repentant, terrible things will happen to the kingdom, but they will not happen during Josiah's reign. I don't have time to talk about Priscilla in the New Testament, thought to be a preacher and possibly the anonymous author of the book of Hebrews, or Junia, who is outstanding among the apostles, the name is feminine. The woman at the tomb, who were the first evangelists, the first to proclaim the gospel that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Phoebe, a deacon, who possibly delivered the letter to the Romans to the church at Rome. Lydia, who welcomed Paul into her house. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, we read these words. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, distributes them to each one just as He determines. Did you hear that? The Holy Spirit decides who gets the gifts. Not me. Not you. Our denomination, the covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians, believes in ministry that is egalitarian. For me, it was a no-brainer. When I was at the University of California, San Diego, I encountered women who were exceptional teachers, including teachers of Bible studies. When I was a, a, at Fuller Seminary, I was a teaching assistant in the preaching department. And I saw outstanding women preachers. Pretty easy to follow the Holy Spirit's guidance, right? I'm, I'm proud of our denomination's stance as egalitarian. I'm glad that we recognize women and men called into leadership in the church. And I am honored 
to serve alongside Joy and Janae, who are exceptionally gifted and exceptionally talented. So let's go back to Mark chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, okay? So Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. And again, crowds of people came to him, and as, it was, as was his custom, he taught them, okay? And some Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you, he replied. They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Now, first, I love that the crowds came to Jesus. And I love that he loved them. I love that he listened to them, that he respected their journeys, and that he taught them. Don't miss that. You know, when we are with our families, with our neighbors, with our friends, our workplaces, all the hobbies that we share, we are all in full-time ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. So don't miss verse 2. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Okay, now, listen, this is interesting. Jesus knows he's being tested there's a powerful reason for Jesus to believe that the Pharisees want him to fail the test. In addition, there were two competing schools of thought among the Pharisees and the rabbis. The school of Shammai was more rigid, and the school of Hillel was more flexible or tolerant. So I don't think that discounts the verses that follow. But know this, Jesus knows he's being tested and he is on his guard. And that's why he asked, what did Moses command you? And Moses, they reply, Moses permitted a man to write a, a certificate of divorce and send her away. And notice the heavy emphasis on men, right? And you don't see women getting to write a certificate of divorce and send them away, do you? Although I imagine some women would like to, right? You know, I, th there's a challenge here with fairness, that I don't want to miss, but Jesus is correct. Our hearts are hard, and all our rebellion and selfishness and sin and pain and anguish come from our hard hearts, which is to say they come from our sinfulness. Did I say it already? Every single one of us has sinned, and we have all fallen short of God's glory. So what follows is the meat of Jesus' message. So let's look at Mark chapter 10, verses 6 through 12. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this, right? They're curious. And he answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Wow, there's so much good content there. Note that Jesus allows for a woman to divorce her husband. And that was probably very radical in the first century, right? 
I mean, that just wasn't done, right? Uh, but keep in mind that men still had the power and control. So I want to go back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and I want to start with Genesis 1, verse 27, okay? So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, in Hebrew, this is poetic parallelism, okay? So every line says the same thing. First line, God created mankind in his own image. Three parts. God created mankind in his own image. Next line, in the image of God, part three of line one, he, God, created them, mankind. Third line, male and female, he created them. God created is in all three lines. Them, or mankind, is in all three lines. Male and female, don't miss this, they are the reflection of the image of God in each and every human being. Don't forget this. Every person you meet is created in the image of God. At the same time, right? We are all totally depraved. I have found nothing that better explains the world in which we live every day. We're created in the image of God, and we're totally depraved. All right, let's go on with Genesis chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked. And they felt no shame. And so the very next thing that happens is chapter 3, the fall. It doesn't take us long to mess things up, right? But so the verse begin, begins with, this is now. I like the new revised standard version. This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Here at last is one like me. There are three parts that follow. We leave, we unite with our husband and wife. And we become one flesh. Leaving is hard, right? That means we leave our mom and dad. Our priority becomes our spouse. Our highest priority is our spouse above our parents. Now, that doesn't mean we stop loving our parents or caring for them. In this generation with increases in aging and life expectancy, I know children who are making decisions to return to, to wherever their parents live to care for them. I'm guessing some of you have made that decision. And others of you, probably who are part of this congregation, have left Good Shepherd to return to care for aging parents. So we love our parents. And we cherish them. And we care for them. But the highest priority from Genesis and from Jesus in Mark chapter 10 is our spouse. If we're married. So the next part is the part about uniting with our husband or wife. The, the word in, for Hebrew is dabak, 
which is sometimes translated as cleave and is here translated as united with. The meaning of the word suggests that two things are combined. There's harmony, there's unity, there's closeness. And the last part is three Hebrew words in the Hebrew text. Hayah means to come to be. Echad means one. And basar means flesh. The man and woman come to be one flesh. In a spiritual sense, that happens, right, when we are named husband and wife. But there's a challenge, right, for all of us in becoming one flesh. We resist. I, I, I want my way. Uh, Rhonda, I want Rhonda to do what, what I want to do. Uh, maybe, maybe Rhonda wants me to do what she wants me to do. Uh, I know Rhonda's watching. Hi, hon. <laughs> I love you. <ya. laughs> Jesus is quoting directly from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in Mark chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. What do these words of Jesus when he was back in the house with the disciples mean? I think Jesus was taking, asking us to take marriage seriously. I think Jesus was asking us to make a commitment to our spouse. I think Jesus was asking us to prioritize our spouse. I think Jesus was stating something that becomes self-evident if we think about it. I mean, if, if a person divorces a wife and marries another woman, if a woman divorces her husband and marries another man, yeah, in, in, in a way, a weird way, yes, that person does commit adultery. But keep in mind our focus on total depravity. All of us have sinned. I know some men who are addicted to pornography and some women too. I know men who are single and have multiple affairs and some women as well. Sin and brokenness are universal, and that doesn't mean, begin to mean the, uh, to mention the, all the other sins that plague us. I've often thought that churches are too quick to focus on sex and too so slow to focus on things like unethical business practices. You know, because you may be making a donation to the church out of those unethical business practices, right? That's a challenge. I've often... Uh, all of us have sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I believe Jesus is entering into a covenant of marriage, a sacred covenant. My mom and dad were married for 64 years when my dad died. But that doesn't mean that they didn't face challenges in their marriage or their parenting or all the rest. I'm sure that you would agree that I was br a breath of life as the youngest child of five uh, th they might differ with you. <laughs> I could be very difficult uh, for them. Uh, my dad was a Pennsylvania Republican. My mom was a North Carolina Democrat. They canceled each other's presidential vote for 16 election cycles. <laughs> Rhonda's mom and dad have been uh, married for 68 years uh, in December of last year. And, and that doesn't mean that they haven't faced challenges in their marriage, uh, including a son-in-law who mentions them in, their, in, their, in his sermon. <laughs> uh, Mom and Dad, I love you, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you on St. Patrick's Day. Let's go on to the part that seems so beautiful and amazing and wonderful and kind, the part about kids. Here's the text from Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. Uh, people were bringing 
little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on him, them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms and placed his arms on them and blessed us. Wow. Okay, so finally, here's something we can support, right? <laughs> oh, that's, man, I've been getting all these tough texts. Cutting off your hand, the execution of John the Baptist, gouging out your eye. This, oh, oh. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. What does Jesus mean? You know, what do you think Jesus is talking about? Is he talking about the willingness of kids to trust? Is he talking about the willingness of kids to take risks? Is he talking about the willingness of children to go on adventures? Are there some other things about children that Jesus might be talking about? Talk about that. All right, I'd invite you to think of the, about the qualities of children that, uh, that Jesus might have in mind. Uh, Ralph Martin was one of my teachers at Fuller Seminary. And in his preaching guide on Mark, he said this, What makes children so apt an illustration is not their innocence, a common fallacy, but their simplicity, gratitude, and trustfulness. Most obviously, a child is transparently honest and has no pride, which is the chief barrier to entry into the kingdom of God. So verse 15 presents a challenge. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Wow. What do we do with that? So, and again, how do we approach it? Now, I think that there's something in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 3 through 12, the Beatitudes, that speak to this, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, did you know that there are some commentators on the Beatitudes who believe that the commands are in order? All right. So if you are poor in spirit, you are in a position to mourn. If you, are, if you mourn, you are in a position to be shaped, which is the definition of the word meek. If you are meek, you are in a position to hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you become merciful to others. If you are merciful, you grow in purity of heart. If you grow in purity of heart, you become a peacemaker. 
If you are a peacemaker, you will be persecuted. If you are persecuted, you will be insulted. I think Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is actually describing the qualities of a child. Children are vulnerable. Children are powerless. Jesus is right. Unless we enter the kingdom of heaven like a child, we will not enter it. We must give up our pride, our accomplishments, our status, and enter as a child. This has been such a difficult text. Uh, hear this, you are covered by the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what sins you may have committed or what circumstances have been brought into your life, Jesus is trying to prioritize marriage as a sacred covenant, but that does not mean that he does not forgive you. Romans 8 verse 26 reminds us that in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. The Holy Spirit is interceding for you. God the Father has separated our sins as far as the east is from the west. Jesus is praying for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says that we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ. An advocate is someone who pleads for us, who advocates our case. When you encounter these passages in Mark and other difficult passages in the Old and New Testament, remember that we are covered by God's grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. There's nothing we can ever do to pay it back. But grace is given to us freely by our Lord Jesus Christ through his perfect life, his ability to be fully God and fully human through his death on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead. May it be so. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, thank you for, uh, for these difficult words. We pray that uh, people who have been married and divorced will, will take comfort from these words. Because we believe that these are your words. And at the same time, we pray that each of us would deal with our own sins. We pray, God, that you would lead us and guide us and shepherd us. And we pray all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.